Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life. I think we've entered a place where women have zigged and men don't know how to zag with them. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to the final episode of the Dates and Mates Summer Encore Series. This is also our season finale, the last episode of season nine. So today I am I am bringing everything I got. I am bringing back another episode that has been locked away in the vault for quite some time. It is my conversation with Charles J. Orlando. That was part of my Decoding Your Modern Dating Dilemmas Summit. So most of my podcast listeners have never heard this conversation. You know that I love breaking down dating myths and tracking the ways that dating norms are changing and evolving. And that is why I had to share this interview with you today. If you don't know Charles J. Orlando, you are in for a treat. He is a relationship dynamics expert. He is the author of five acclaimed books, but you probably know him from the hit show Seven Year Switch on Lifetime, where he was the host and expert of seasons two and three. Today, he is joining me to break down the origin and the evolution of chivalry. Plus, he will tell you what to look out for on a first date when gauging long-term potential. Please enjoy this Summer Encore series episode with Charles J. Orlando. Hi there. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. What a a long bio. Who wrote that? Oh, my God. Some some very smart person because you're very accomplished and you have (laughs) so many people that follow you online. I've been following you for years and I know you you are the person to talk to everyone today about modern day chivalry. That is the topic that we're going to be covering. And I I really I want to just start out with an, an assessment of chivalry today. And I want to hear from you how you think chivalry has changed in the last, say, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, Charles. Well, why don't, why don't we go back a couple hundred years first and, and talk about kind of the, the origins of where chivalry, the word and the actions came from. Uh, a lot of people think that, you know, you instantly get, get visions of damsels in distress and knights in shining armor who pick up a, a handkerchief off the, off the ground and hand it to a woman. And that's, that's, part of the etymology of the word. But if you back up a little bit further, it actually meant to win sexual favors from a a woman uh, via covert action. 
So it was a way to bullshit your way into her pants by just pretending to be all that. That's basically uh, the same that it is today, right? <laughs> and that's the no. end of the sermon. Thank you for joining. But that's not what most women think of when they say chivalry. So no. let's, yeah, we'll fast forward to de- today. Fast forward to today, and we're just talking about courtly actions towards people. A lot of people have that nailed down for man to a woman, but a man can be chivalrous towards anyone, to another man, to uh, his his or, or parents. Like it's it's really a matter of of action, and I think that it's a, a tainted term. We're just talking about gentlemanly conduct, which unfortunately has fallen by the wayside for so many guys. And there's a couple reasons for that. Firstly, they they don't necessarily see that it's that it's needed anymore and that's because of secondly women don't demand that kind of action or they don't necessarily understand kind of the nuances of what it of what it means uh, we can get into all that well okay so i i have been a modern dating expert for a while and so i feel like i've watched the evolution of online dating and uh typical gender roles really change since uh, people have moved into more digital communication and the le- the playing field, I think, has been leveled by women being able to make the first move. So do you think that that is, is killing chivalry today? Is that one of the reasons that women are not demanding to be treated like a lady? Well, I think they don't necessarily know their place anymore, men or women. I say their place in, in big, fat, ugly quotes that bothers me when people do this, but um, it, it's, it doesn't have a traditional role. You, if you go back to, I don't know, World War II, and everybody had a role. Men were protector provider. Women took care of the village and managed the house. But with World War II came a fundamental shift in how genders related not only to each other, but to the world around them sociologically. Women were hyper-thrust into traditional male roles. Uh, and from there, they they took on all, everything from baseball to engineering to architecture to uh, professors in, in mathematics. Like just pick all the traditionally male roles up to that time. When men came back from World War II, they went, that's cute. Go back in the kitchen. And women went, nice try. So since then, we've had a rise in female empowerment, a real push towards true feminism, uh, which is a, a, an unfortunately a, a tainted term. For so many women, feminism doesn't mean equality. It means pushing men down. So that's that doesn't lend itself towards successful chivalrous actions in dating, just to bring that back to the topic. But because those roles have changed, if men look at each other and they look at themselves and they say, okay, so if I'm not a protector provider and she doesn't need me, she just wants me. What is my role? How do what do I hook my masculinity to? And then what does that mean for how I treat her? I think you just hit the nail on the head. the The bigger issue is not how should we be behaving to be in alignment with this idea of chivalry in our heads, but how do we make each person in a relationship feel that they have a function? And when the role of men has shifted. And now if she's making double your salary, she doesn't need you to buy dinner. She doesn't need you to buy all of these other things. So how can women still inspire men to show up for them and have and, and allow them to have a function in their lives in a relationship? Well, see, and you're hooking on something that a lot of men attach their masculinity to, and that is a provider status. And I don't think there's any way to undo that piece. 
meaning that you look at us as boiled down to our DNA as cavemen, and we're only as good as the animal that we killed and brought back. And we want you to then not only cook it, but be proud that we we brought it to you. And because because so many men don't know what to do if that role is taken away, I think we've we've entered a place where women have zigged and, and men don't know how to zag with them. Uh, but but there's lots of ways to provide, and there's lots of ways to share pieces of yourself. And I, I don't know if men have an uh, and I'm speaking very generally. There's a lot of great quality men that don't have their masculinity hooked to this kind of stuff. So let's just be clear. But there's lots of different ways to provide through a combination of physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial interaction. Uh, men just get married up to, I'm only as good as my career. Does she see the car that I drive? And because of that, they bring their own insecurities to their relationships. And women don't know how to make a place for an insecure guy. So many men just want their egos catered to because of whatever they bring. And if they bring nothing, their egos don't get catered to. And women are like, well, what is your problem? You know, like, can't you just enjoy the time? What the hell? And guys don't know how to do that. Uh, so many men don't know how to do that, I should say. But I will say, just speaking from personal experience, I, I married a very progressive, modern guy. And I would say we have very much a a kind of 50-50 type relationship where there are some areas where I lead, there are some areas where he leads. But I think it's important that that we each have our own space where we're sort of an expert or it's really clear who's leading at, at what times. And I'll just share a little story. We dated for about three years, three years and change before we got engaged. And I was very anxious about being engaged, as I'm sure a lot of women listening right now uh, have maybe been in the past or hope to be in the future. And so I didn't, um, I felt like this was the time for us to get engaged, but he didn't have his career on track yet. So he had this idea as a man that in order to propose to a woman, a woman, he had to have his status set. And I hear this from a lot of ladies that uh, get into relationships with guys that are, are, are still on a career path and don't feel settled. And they're like, why can't he commit to me? And a lot of times it boils down to he doesn't feel like he has built enough as a man for himself. And so he doesn't want to then also be responsible, I guess, or or doesn't feel like he's earned the place to then also have a woman enter into this space with him. Does that make sense? So I, I was very annoying, if you will, <laughs> about getting this ring. And, and it, it, it made me crazy because I was seeing other people getting engaged and I was like, why are they getting engaged and not me? And finally, once my husband got the promotion, I got the ring, we got engaged and everything, you know, and all, we all lived happily ever after. But I created a lot of additional stress for myself, Charles, by, by having that focus on this is how the relationship is supposed to go. And he probably created a lot of stress for himself because he felt like he needed to have that, that financial stability to be able to propose to me. Can what? I ask how old you were during oh, that time? Young, actually, 28. Right. So, and I'm not surprised. So a lot of what you're describing kind of comes through late or mid to late 20s through early 30s, where, especially for men, I mean, women feel their biological clocks tick in. This is all primal courtship, right? Like I need to be settled down. I need to get ready for whatever the this of my 
of my uh, love life is going to be. And a guy is in the middle of getting all that together too. Given today's economic challenges, as well as the double income society that we live in, the pressure for young men, young defined as anything under 40, is huge because they have to work even harder than, than we did in Gen X. I'm 46 in order to, to make something positive happen to where they're prepared for a relationship, not only financially, but mentally. I mean, that kind of, of financial stress is really tough on a young guy. And he feels the pressure of, I need to have, I mean, you can't bring a wife home to no cave. You got to have a cave, right? With a fire. And you have, to, you have to have pieces of that. And that's the internal like dialogue that we hear. Um, so, and so that's, that's one half. But the other half of it is that some guys don't grow up. They don't give a shit. All they want to do is get laid. They're never going to commit. Like that's the other half of that coin. Uh, but it's, it's really easy to kind of figure that out if you, and this is where your, your head was kind of at and where you left the conversation before I jumped in. That's about expectations on, on both sides where we have this idea, depending on how old we are, of, of what's supposed to happen at what time. And women really feel that in late 20s, where they're ready for, and they just insert the blank. They may have had this plan since they were 5, 10 years old, that I'm going to have this at this time, and this at this time, and after college, this will happen, and I'll meet the guy by 25, we'll be married by 29. Like there, There's this whole plan that's in place. And if he doesn't plug into that directly, then you end up with a, oh my God, my plan's off. I'm running out of time, uh, which really means that you're, you're losing and women feel like they're losing their viability in the love marketplace where they're getting a little bit older, which is bullshit. I mean, come on, you're, you're in your twenties, your thirties. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And, and you really hit on a key element of the, this modern dating summit time. Cause I, I hear this all the time from women of all ages that they feel like time is ticking and they don't want to waste time on go nowhere dates. But one thing that I hear across the board and that I have, I have proven wrong time and time again, is this idea that all men want to date women who are younger. So if I'm talking to a woman in her thirties, he thinks, she thinks all women, all men want to date women in their twenties. If I'm talking to a woman in her sixties, she thinks that guys all want to date women in her their 50s and 40s. So what is the reality of that? And what do you think men are chasing when they are, are looking for a younger woman? Is it that, do they feel that those younger women have long-term potential or is it something else? That's <laughs> what do you mean? Something else? <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. Um, no. So look, th those, those are the, the negative tapes that women are playing in their head. And if they're feeling that way, it's a combination of their own insecurities as well as their selection process for men. So are there many men who are in their forties and fifties who want a, a girl? And I say girl with as much respect as I can muster in her early twenties, where you're separated by more than two decades and you have nothing in common. Shut up. Like you, have, you don't have anything in common. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of those guys out there. But the right guy looks past all of that. So you've had kids and you have stretch marks and you're over 50 and, you know, your breasts aren't sitting up here perfect and firm. Like, I mean, we can just get as detailed as you want. Like those guys see, the right guy sees all past, past all of that nonsense because it, it doesn't even come into play. And that has to do with selection process. But here, here's the challenge. Because the playing field, as you mentioned at the top of this, is so flat, 
things are difficult. Online dating, as many success stories as we hear, has has fundamentally altered the way courtship commences. You, you back up, and we originally met people within our own neighborhood, which means we had uh, some commonality around value, uh, around people that we knew, neighborhood activities, all those things. You instantly clicked with that person, and you knew what they were all about. So to have something fall apart so early in the process or whatever, it was rare then, which is why marriage was easier back then because you, you instantly were able to plug into somebody that you kind of already knew. Now we're meeting people from out of our neighborhood because the neighborhood is 7.1 billion people strong. So you, you end up meeting people who don't believe in what you believe in, who don't have a connection with how you view life, love, children, finances, spirituality, all of those things. And as a result, the get to know you process is longer. I, I do want to just go back to this idea of meeting someone in your existing community. I hear a lot of times now that women are looking for the whole package. They want their partner in crime. Whereas before it, it was their romantic partner, but they had other people that they, they used to fill in those other gaps. Do you, have you seen this in your work, Charles? And oh, sure. how can women set themselves up for relationship success uh, in in the modern modern day world where these people aren't in your immediate social circle and may not have all of the things in common with you? Well, so let me let me help regain. It's it's a great point you're bringing up. Let me help reset a lot of women's false expectations. Look. If you are looking for someone to complete you, that means you didn't have enough of you to begin with, okay? So sorry, Jerry Maguire, you're, you're, you're dead wrong. Uh, but besides that, we, we are taught by every movie, by every Disney cartoon, and by our friends and family around us that the person you meet is going to answer everything. They're going to do everything with you. You're going to have all these things in common. You'll get all of your needs serviced and met with this person. And that is just simply not real, mostly because people are individual and, and they see things the way they see them on day one. But the person you meet on day one, you have all these things in common, they're going to learn and grow and shift. And by year five and year 10, they will be a slightly tweaked, different version of what you met. So that's the first thing. The second thing, though, is that you will also grow through that entire process. And what you're going to need and want is going to be different than what they might be able to provide. But that's why you go and you make friends, you join groups, you take up hobbies, and your partner is supposed to support you and love you and be interested in what you're doing. But that doesn't mean they're going to join you across everything that you do. I mean, maybe you take up bike bicycling, you love outdoor cycling, and they despise it. Why? Because at 10 years old, I don't know. They had some accident on 10 speed. I'm never going to get back on a bike again, ever, period. So is that become a deal breaker? Oh, well, I guess you're not into what I'm into. Stop it. Like go join a bicycling, bicycling, bicycling group and then bring your newfound interest back and talk about it. You can share it. They don't have to do it. That's, that's great advice. And you also were starting to talk about how a relationship evolves over time. And I know you're also an expert, not just in, in dating, but in relationships and building a marriage or a, a, a foundation that can stand the test of time. So let's, let's roll the clock back to that first date. And when people are beginning to meet someone and evaluate them as having long-term potential, 
what should they be looking for in that first date? And how soon do you know? I use air quotes since you love them so much. I hate them. No, that someone is the right or wrong match. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, this is where everybody tries to short circuit the courtship process. On a first date, you're going to be looking for red flags, but you're not going to know if they're a long-term match. You have to find that out over time. And the minute you start ignoring red flags or things that are real deal breakers, like narcissistic behavior, sociopathic disconnect, someone who doesn't communicate well, someone who treats the wait staff like shit. Like these are these are big, you know, red flags. And we could go through a, a billion of them just like that. But you, you you look for those things. And then it's about compatibility, especially with with women and people over 35 or 40 you're kind of set down a course. Now it's not a matter of how you fit together. That's part of it. But it's also, how do they plug into my life? Because I have some of this already kind of organized. So how can we make this work and how they plug in? That only happens over time. You can read their profile. You can stalk them on Google and Facebook. You can you can take a look at all the comments they put on Instagram and what they put on their friend's stuff, right? But at the end of the day, none of that is going to matter in how they plug in. If you're not ready to invest time investigating if they're the right partner for you, you have no business trying to date. None. That that time thing, it keeps coming back. And and I I find myself saying to women a lot of times, you have to carve out the time for the relationship before they arrive. Because if you are working 60 hours a week and you're like, oh, I'll find the time when they when they show up, he's gonna feel like he doesn't fit into your life, right? He's going to feel like you don't have the time for him. Well, right. Because she won't have the time. Uh, I mean, look, if if you're interested in companionship, date people. From there, you'll find out whether a relationship is right. If you automatically qualify yourself as looking for a relationship, you're dead because you're going to get rid of all the red flags and all the things that don't work. And a year in, six months or a year in, you're going to see, wow, none of this works. It's because you ignored all the stuff that doesn't work at the front end because you just wanted to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't work. A lot, of pe- a lot of women feel that at 35 or 40. And that's where we get back to feeling like their time is running out. Time mm-hmm. is always running out. You know, I mean, we're on this planet for such a limited amount of time. But I will say nothing is worse than wasting your time on the wrong relationship. And too often, I, I see women, like you said, being so focused on having that relationship that they continue to stay with someone that they know is not the right match because that's easier than just starting over and going through the whole dating process again. But it, but it's agreeing to be happily unhappy. You know, it's it's not fulfilling, and you're forcing yourself into a relationship just for the sake of being in one, like. Look for happiness, okay? If you're not happy, then you're not in the right place. Love is not that kind of work. It doesn't take work. It's effortless. I'm so glad you said that because I everyone, you know, there's that that age-old saying like relationships are work. And I just don't know that I agree with that. I think re- relationships require you to show up and be willing to learn and change, but I don't I don't really look at it as work. And I feel like if it's work, maybe it's not the right one. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, this is something I wrote in my first book and there, there's a big difference. It's a, it's a slight tweak on, on the uh, nomenclature, right? But it's not work. So work is that thing that you do so that you can earn a check so that you can take that money and do what you're really passionate about. 
right? You know, I mean, some people are passionate about their work, but in the grand scheme of things, you're doing this so you can do that. Relationships and marriage and, and love take effort. Effort is what you put into things that you really care about, things that you are passionate about, things that matter. Work is different. Work is tolling. Like, who the hell wants to do work all the time? Okay, so we're, we're, we don't want to do work. We want to have fun in the relationship. And mm-hmm. as we're talking about modern day chivalry, I just have to ask you one final question because I used to say, don't text in a relationship, that texting is for information and not conversation. And I have had to, over the years, I've had to adapt that philosophy because there's just no way to date in this modern world without texting. But I'd love to hear your insights on how people can text their way to a relationship and not out of one. (laughs) Well, texting is a great way to get information out. You and I are cut from the same cloth with that. But it's not a way to really communicate with one exception. You end up with an argument with your spouse or significant other. Texting is awesome because you can't interrupt each other and go back and forth and bicker and bitch and complain and end up in a fight, right? Everybody has to type as quickly as they can. And before you know it, the real point gets lost somewhere. Now you're talking about something else. It doesn't work. Somebody gets on the phone. So that that is a really effective way of killing big arguments. But when it comes to dating, like, look, texting is a great way to, to introduce people to themselves. Tinder is relies on that type of messaging. Initial contact and introductions on every dating side of the planet starts with a message like that. But if, they're, if they are not willing to take it offline and invest some real time, then you don't know about compatibility. You end up in a relationship with your screen. And that's the problem with the written word. It's all subjective based on how the reader interprets it. You don't know their tone, their meaning, their body language, nothing. If they won't get on the phone with you, they're not mature enough to be in a long-term relationship, period. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I love Charles J. Orlando. And now I'm so <laughs> glad that everybody else got to know you and I'm sure love you as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Be sure to check out Charles on Instagram at Charles J. Orlando. You can also learn about his work at charlesjorlando.com. You know what we do. The links will be in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this summer encore series episode of Dates and Mates. But let me ask you just three questions before we go. Number one, are you subscribed to the show? If not, how will you know when the season 10 premiere episode drops? Number two, Have you rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now? It would mean so much to me if you did. And number three, have you shared Dates and Mates with a friend? Look, y'all, cuffing season is right around the corner, and we need to get everyone up to speed on the current state of dating. So click share to send this episode to a friend who needs a little bit of Dates and Mates love. We will be kicking off season 10 next week with an all new, all Dear Demona episode. I've gotten so many DMs and emails and voicemails from you this summer, from my listeners. And so I'm dedicating this entire premiere episode back to you. It's not too late to get your questions in. So you can DM me at Demona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can text it. You can send me a voice memo. You can carry your pigeon it to me. However you get me your questions, send them in. You can also call or text me at 424-246-6255. 
So there you have it, my friends. Season 10 drops next Tuesday, and Dear Devona is here for you. Until next week, I wish you happy dating.